This is Wayne Jurnell, editor of Theory and Research and Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. So the other day I was talking to my daughter and she was, sometimes she wants to be things when she grows up and it's a lot of different things. And so she said that she wanted to be a doctor and then she paused for a minute and she said, no, I want to be a nurse. And at that point I was like, oh, honey, you can be a doctor. You can definitely be a doctor. And so I'm then I'm naming like, like your doctor is a doctor. Doc McStubbins is a doctor. So I'm, you know, name, naming all these like, you know, female doctors, which there are a lot. My kid sister is a, a, a doctor. And she was like, no, but Lou, her grandmother's a nurse. And so she's like, oh, no, but Lulu's a nurse. And I want to be like that. I was like, oh, okay. But like, <laughs> I was so, I don't know. Like, I was like, just like, you know, like the gender norm that like, like when I grew up, like women were nurses, right? And 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 when you think of a doctor, you think of a man. Yeah, and I was two. so nervous that that might have been something with yeah. that. And I was like, no. Yeah, the gender gender stereotypes are so strong. You could just lean on it as a joke and meet the fuckers, right? Like it's a whole thing. A, a male nurse was like this. Oh yeah. This this role that just the nature of it was emasculating, right? And the and nurse yeah. at her elementary school is a a, a male nurse, and I was. So my wife is like, we're because we talk about this obviously because, and I don't know again if it was just my own like fear of that being for her because I don't want that, I don't right. want like stupid st- like stereotypes <laughs> to like rule like what she wants to be, but it's it's all yeah it's also a great aspiration to be a nurse that's like a really is, great profession is. and. I think, yeah, I have the same reactions when I'm oftentimes like around my niece or around kids because gender comes up, right? Like they exhibit it in all kinds of ways and they and they challenge gender norms, I think, in other ways. But yeah, like with with one of my nieces, I know like when she would, you know, want to wear dresses or other things like that. My first thought is you you don't have to wear that. You could. But then I'm like, <laughs> quit, Dan. It's like she can do whatever she wants. And yeah. um, I, I think that's the most important thing for me is that she does feel like she has the options in front of her. But this is also the same for, again, for young boys or for kids that are not gender conforming, right? The ways that they're able to be supported and identify and have adults around them that that support them is important. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of messages that they're getting at a very young age, I'm sure. What am I, we watch uh, this TV show called Bluey. It's an Australian TV show about a family of dogs. Dan, I actually recommend it. Like, I would I've watch seen, this thing. You have? I've seen an episode. Yes. Oh, and for, for, for listeners who don't know, I'm not as engrossed in all of the children's films and stuff because we do not have kids, but you're just around nieces and nephews. And yeah, we've watched a Bluey episode. Oh, some of them are just beautiful. One of my favorite things about it is Chili, the mom, she's always going to play field hockey. Like she's always and so then she hangs all they hang a lot with their dad, but it's always the mom kind of going off to play like, you know, to to do organized sports. 
And I got really excited about that because I'm like, yeah, go chili. Like, this is something you like. I like it. It was just, I don't know. I found it really refreshing and I love the show. I highly recommend it. But it's also okay if in that, in the situation, the mother is at home too, right? Like it's, oh, it's yeah, that, that's, it, that, isn't that, that's always the challenge, right? It's like, there's this natural inclination for some, of course, some people just want actually to enforce gender norms, mm-hmm. but then some of us like have this reaction, like, no, you can't fit the gender norm. But of course it's, it's allowing people to choose in empowering ways. It seems like it, but I don't, I don't know, Michael, what do I, I'm a cisgender Man, like, what do I know about talking about gender norms? If only we had someone who, like, did some research on this, particularly yes. in the elementary setting. Be particularly helpful right about now. You did it, didn't you? Yes, of course, of course. Well, we are excited. We have a guest who's going to help us help these two, you know, cisgender guys with beards you know, understand a beard. little bit more about gender and what we can do at the elementary level. So welcome. We are excited to have on the podcast, Ali Whitford. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And we are thrilled to have you here. Do you mind before we go any further, tell us who is Allie Whitford? Yeah, absolutely. So I was an elementary teacher for almost 10 years across two different school settings. And I was that kid that you hear about that decided when they were five that they were going to be a teacher. And I never really veered from it. That's what I wanted to do from the time I had a great kindergarten teacher and I wanted to be just like her. And so I became a kindergarten teacher at first and traveled all the way up and down the elementary scale, upper elementary and lower elementary for about 10 years. I loved teaching my littles. I loved being in those settings. And then I really wanted to have the opportunity to continue teaching and learning and growing. And so I went back and I got my doctorate to become a teacher educator And that's where I'm at now. I graduated not long ago from Michigan State University, and I'm now working at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. You know, if this were a a visual thing, I would point to my hand because that's what we do in Michigan to show where we're from, but on the West Coast in Holland. And so I get to work with amazing future teachers and their students, help them plan And one of my favorite things to do is I do get to teach the elementary social studies methods course. So we have a lot of conversation um, in the literacy and the social studies methods courses about having conversations with students about about gender. And so that's something that inspired my research. At five, I wanted to be a fraggle. (laughs) Obviously, yours yours is much better. To be fair, I also wanted to be a mermaid. But... (laughs) (laughs) Don't give up on your dreams. You know, we, we don't know what the future holds. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's easy to be inspired at Hope College. What a, what a hopeful name. Mine's just a directional name of the university I'm at. But the reason we're having you on particularly is to talk about your recent publication in Theory and Research in Social Education, the articles titled Understanding and Addressing Gender Stereotypes with Elementary Children, The Promise of an Integrated Approach. So first, congratulations on your publication. Thank you so much. That was such an honor and such a great experience. I'm really excited about it. Well, can you tell us about it? We'd love to hear all about this project and the paper and uh, what we can learn from it. Wonderful. Yes, thank you. Well, when I was finishing up my doctoral research at Michigan State University, actually, when I was beginning my research, I began with a project about uh, teaching women's history. And this was something that was a first kind of beginning project for me, something I really was excited to teach. 
And I interviewed students and I fell in love with interviewing students and getting to just hear how they see the world. But when I interviewed students, I noticed that in my pre-interviews, when I would ask them what women did in history or contributed in history, their top answers for those questions were cooking, cleaning, raising children, and nothing. Those were their top answers for women's history. And I, so I did more digging um, because this was even from my, you know, from, from students in the class identified as, as female students. And so I did a little digging and looking at curricula and I'm like, okay, it makes sense. We don't really have a lot that teaches women's history in our social studies curriculum. And that pushed me into thinking even more about gender more broadly. As I was looking at these pages, one of the children I interviewed in that study actually was looking for a girl in the textbook. And she goes, you know what? And she slams it closed and she goes, I don't know why I'm looking at this. It's all boys. Mm. And I became mm. interested in not only how the textbooks are portraying women's history, but how are they portraying gender at all? How are these materials being portrayed? And that drove me even into, I'm also very interested in literacy and seeing how our literacy curricula, curriculum materials are portraying gender. And what I found before actually even starting my research project from this paper is that we really, really uphold gender stereotypes in the materials we give to kids. We really do a lot of girls who are receiving dolls and sparkly dresses for presents. We have our boys receiving electronics and bikes and sporting equipment. There was a passage in one of the curricula that I looked at where a woman is traded for fence fence post for fence post. Oh, um, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the yeah. context here? Um, it was a, it was a piece of folklore. Um, and that's you know that's it's fantastic to use folklore. And it was about a series of trades that went along the way, um, trading this to get this and then using trading that to get something else. And eventually it was a wife for this piece of fencing. Mm. And while I am 100%, I love when we are bringing in folklore into curricula. I think there's so many great opportunities. There was nothing in the curriculum to help teachers just explore that with kids for a minute. Just, you know, put the brakes on and say, what do you notice here? And so what I found was, yeah, they're all completely binary pronouns used throughout both the social studies and the literacy curriculum. And these are the things that we're putting in students' hands. For most of our day, literacy takes up a huge part of our day. Social studies doesn't always get as much, but we're engaging in that as well. And so when we are presenting this very traditional, stereotypical view of gender to students all day, it doesn't necessarily become surprising that that shapes how they see the world. And I was curious to see our students' views around gender similar to their views around women's history. Does this impact their idea of gender and gender stereotypes the same way that that lack of women in the curriculum shaped how they viewed women and their historical contributions? Was it just one fence post? You know, I, was, <laughs> no, I was wondering, was it a magical fencing. fence post? It was enough fencing uh, for a goat pen. Hmm. Yeah, it's, I'm, it's, it's problematic on multiple levels, but this is the gender level. But I just feel like this person was a very bad negotiator also. <laughs> it is quite the intensive, intensive story of trades. So, so aside from... <laughs> human beings, women being traded for fence posts, like what else around? So you're, there seems to be this environment that is just 
this kind of gender binary that kids are being exposed to. I'm assuming this comes from also the standards. Don't do anything to prove this, but it's the curriculum materials. And so is it just, is it just like kind of everything you're seeing here? And then what were you able to start figuring out about what teachers should do about this? Well, there is this, like I said, very traditional, stereotypical view presented to kids. Um, I talked to, I did interview some teachers. I asked what materials they will often bring in, but there's also a little bit of a lack up until very recently. There's been a little bit of a lack of even trade books or books you might bring into the classroom that challenge gender stereotypes. And so I became really interested in seeing how kids think about gender and gender stereotypes and can those more stereotypical views that are being shaped by the curriculum, can they be challenged by a curriculum that does push them to think critically about gender and break out of those, those more stereotypical norms. And so I was able to, I had just the privilege of working with students from all over the country because I did the study during COVID. So my beautiful plans of working in a classroom um, ended up being having kind of this Zoom extracurricular class. But the wonderful thing was that I got to work with kids from all over the U.S. and Canada that I never would have met otherwise. And I got to learn from them, which was wonderful. But what I found was, you know, their ideas of gender, you know, they do have, they are influenced so much by what's around them. They are influenced so much by what they see. And there have been studies, they've really dug into the fact that kids use their school materials and their textbooks and their the books that teachers read to just draw conclusions about the world around them. And so I interviewed students and, you know, we did see some of those traditional, more stereotypical things. I had a student, a parent report to me that, for example, their, their child, a little boy had told them, mom, I think my favorite color might be pink, but can you please not tell anybody that? Because I just don't want them to know that's not for boys. I know. It's so unfair. Pink is such a pretty color. And the idea that I cannot enjoy pink and flowers, um, come on, like how how it is when you step back and think about how absurd it is that a color and like things like flowers got gendered, right? (laughs) Like some of us get a right to it now. Oftentimes, of course, this works in reverse a lot more too, but it's, it's, it's crazy how we've constructed these social worlds. Yes. And the the impact that they have where a child might feel that it it would be unsafe or othering or make him feel different to have anyone but his mom know that he liked to color pink. It was his favorite color. You know, there's a really serious, there's a fear there that just broke my heart. And so there were a lot of things like that that were appearing in the beginning of the study. And so we went ahead and we embarked on, on Zoom through covid on using literacy and different literacy activities to really just first see different representations of gender, different expressions of gender, characters in the books who are breaking gender stereotypes, who are doing, who love, who love the color pink. One of the books I was called, I love my, I love my purse. And that was about a little boy who carried his purse to school and started kind of inspiring the other characters in the book to explore their interests, not all related to gender, but just things that they weren't sure other people, interests other people would share, for example. So one of the first things I recommend to teachers, because I did find um, these strategies were really effective, is that that basic first step of representation is really important. Finding books that 
have a variety of gender expressions of kids who are just interested in so many different things, whether that be wearing uh, that male child wearing that purse, whether it be the professional female athlete, whatever that might be, having those representations, having some books maybe that have those non-binary pronouns, things that just represent a variety of different expressions of gender is a great starting point. It's a great foundation. You know, with interlibrary loan systems and all the, you know, increase, there has been an increase in children's books in the last few years that represent gender. You know, those are things that are, you can get your hands on and bring right into your classroom. So one thing I'd love to hear you talk about a few books that you think do a good job and we can mention some and of course link to some other lists. And I'm sure there's some that you mentioned the article or you could recommend other places. And then in addition to that, I'm also really curious about how intersectionality plays into this, right? How we think about gender when it is combined with race, when it is combined with ability and a lot of other issues. I mean, is that something that you came across or that was important in your your research? Yes, absolutely. So to take that, I'll take that one at a time. Um, some books that we use in the study. One thing I will say is grab all the books if you can. Um, there's no really one book that does a perfect job of representing different expressions of gender simply because it is such a personal and varied and complex thing. So I recommend, you know, relying on several books that portray several different expressions, expressions of gender. One book my students really enjoyed was Sparkle Boy by Leslie Newman. They enjoyed, that was a great one to just get their reactions. It was one of the first ones we read. And we paired that with a book called Morris McWhite and the Tangerine Dress um, because they had similar themes of how the main character were expressing gender. We read a few gender swapped kind of fairy tales. Those, there are a ton of those that can be really interesting I did enjoy the I, the book. I love my purse. Now I'll, I'll have to get back to you on the author for that one off of the top of my head. But those are a few that my students really enjoyed that were mostly focused on just that expression of gender and just kids doing what they found interesting, what they felt expressed themselves the best. Those are a few examples, and I'd be more than happy to send a more beautifully compiled list for the show notes if that would be helpful. But what so when you're when you're reading these books to students or you're talking about it, what types of what are the interactions like, right? Is it the students have a lot of questions? I mean, are they questions that surprise you, right? I often find so often that students again don't have this these hardened social constructs. So they tend to be more curious, accepting, less judgmental in certain ways. And sometimes they they may say something that they've heard adults say, but they don't always like even the belief is not as solidified in any way for them. So they're more open and curious. What what were your experiences working with students? That was absolutely my experience. One thing I noticed that was when the students would occasionally express surprise, it wasn't in any way, shape or form a mean spirited or a judgmental surprise. They might say things like, well, I'm really surprised that he wants to wear that dress. I wonder why he wants to do that. But that's curiosity, right? That's um, that's a want to know more and to know about other people's experience. So um, I found a lot of surprise. If the in books where the book, it contains some elements of another character kind of pushing back or saying like, oh, you shouldn't wear that because you're a boy or you can't do that because you're a girl. 
students have such, oh, I love them. They have this beautiful sense of fairness and justice that's so innate for them. As soon as they saw anyone in the book treating someone differently or bringing up a stereotype, they instantly were ready to, well, it's not fair that they were mean, right? It's not fair that they were not being kind. So I found a lot of just indignant uh, in reactions for when they saw that kind of unkind behavior or unjust behavior. But when they, and when they did kind of pull from those gender constructs, a lot of times it was just surprise and curiosity to know more. So can you tell us about then the intersectional factor and also like your participants, like what were the gender identifications and races and ethnicities of some of your, your participants? So intersectionality is such a key and such an important thing. And one thing we really stressed within the class was everybody, the whole point of this is that everybody's experiences are different and we want to allow everyone to do the things they're interested in. It reminds me of what you were saying at the beginning when you were saying, well, it's a very valid career to be a nurse if that's what you want to be. But you also want them to know that the doctor position is available as well, right? Both choices and not feel that they're limited to one or the other. And um, so that was where we really was our basis here. Every expression is okay. And if your expression tends to be for more traditional, that's okay because that's who you are. If it tends to be something that is less traditional, less stereotypical, that's great too. And so it was a good foundation for then bringing in experiences that were based on race, experiences that were based on ability, socioeconomic status, those things. It was a good foundation for that to come in. It wasn't we really did drill drill down and really focus on gender for the time that I had them. But the intersectionality really naturally came into play in so many ways because the students talked about their own experiences. This was a fairly diverse group of students in terms of race and ethnicity, in terms of where they were located across the U.S. and Canada, rural locations, um, more urban populations where they were in a, politically occasionally in different different areas. There was a lot of diversity there. And so their experiences definitely came through as well. And then we were also able to have those conversations when it came to the people that we were reading about. When students were reading about different historical figures, we talked about the difference that, for example, certain women activists faced because of their race. You know, a woman who was being discriminated against as a white woman was having a very different experience and a more privileged experience than someone who is, you know, going into that same experience at that time as a black woman. And and that, that, you know, those things continue to persist in society. So those are conversations that were, they were very invested and interested in having, which was great. And there's so many like easy ways to, to in the classroom to really um, talk about the intersectionality aspect of gender identity too. I mean, I think the 19th Amendment is always the one we bring up as easiest because too, so often we say women gain the right to vote, which is not true, right? White women gain the right to vote. Some women of color gain the right to vote, but it was very, the experiences and the times which people, which women got the right to vote deferred by laws that were passed, discriminatory laws and, and when those changed. So those there's there's lots of openings, I'd, I would hope in the, but also then in just picture books, right? If your picture books are, are racially diverse too, you can focus on gender, but also focus on race and socioeconomic class and other things. So this is, it's really good because I think it's it's important for a lot of people to hear it, especially in this time when there's, when, you know, 
gender diversity is really being um, attacked in a lot of school board meetings. And um, there's these old tropes where where these groups are associating it with pedophilia and other things like that, which have historically happened. And it's just a form of oppression, hatred, and bigotry. And so I think encouraging people to know that they can do this work with young kids and kids are there to learn and interested is really helpful. Yes. And one thing that I loved about doing this project with kids is that, and my other recommendation for teachers, my next step recommendation is the representation is great. The kids come up with wonderful things. They ask wonderful questions and there are a lot of natural openings for conversations. But I think we can take it even that next step. And that's what I discovered by engaging them in practices that are actually intended to draw attention to different gender stereotypes, teaching them to name it, teaching them to name a stereotype when they hear it, teaching them to name injustice based on gender. When they hear it, that was something that was really helpful with the students as we were going through. They would hear something like, in in reality, a parent in their survey said, they heard something on TV that said, oh, that's a man's job. And she was like, well, that's a stereotype because actually anyone can do that job. So that's a stereotype, right? That's not, that's, that's incorrect. That's not accurate what he said. And the parent was, was happy about that, which was wonderful. That was something that, that came up. So teaching them, you know, to name the injustices, you talked about the intersectionality and one thing that works, I think really well is to pair books about different women of different women of color, black women, women, white women, people who've had different experiences and can read those books and ask the students to compare their experiences. You know what, how were these different? They all, you know, maybe they all face sexism, but how was it different for this, for this person? How was this person's experience different? How was this person's experience different? What privileges were afforded? So, I mean, I think we're already well into it, right? In thinking about like the ways that, that teachers can do this. But if somebody walked up, a teacher said, okay, um, I want to do better about, you know, addressing gender stereotypes in my class and helping students feel affirmed in their gender, their emerging oftentimes gender identities. Um, what advice would you have? And then also what, what further advice do you have for researchers who are thinking about delving into this topic more? Great question. So, This is something I get really excited talking about because I think there's so many fun and engaging opportunities to improve students' literacy skills and teach them social studies content while also diving into this this topic. So the first thing I I, I would recommend, again, representation really is important. Understanding, critically analyzing your curricula and seeing like, am I inadvertently giving them a basal reader, for example, where all the stories have, a, have more stereotypical roles? What books can I bring in that will challenge those roles? Then moving past representation to really name and talk about those systems of injustice, to talk to them about stereotypes, why a belief that someone should act a certain way. If that's how we talked about stereotypes with these kids that were in second, third grade. Just that belief that someone should act a certain way, right? Based on any characteristic, but in this specific instance, we were talking about gender. Why is that harmful? Why does that limit us? And then moving from there, there are a lot of great projects that I would recommend doing with students. Um, One that I mentioned is pairing different books that show different sides of different ways that characters can express gender identity, different intersectionality of different identities with that gender, gender identity and expression. 
And then the last thing I that we did that I thought was so fun was we ended up doing a lot of writing projects with the students where they were able to critically analyze stories and then take a piece and change, you know, from that story to change into a different a different interest or a different path for that story to challenge gender stereotypes in that story. So really engaging them intentionally. I think representation is really important, but it's really easy to stop there. And I would really encourage teachers to keep going, have conversations with them, have these writing projects where they see something that is has some stereotypical portrayals of gender and they rewrite the story in a different way. Just giving them some control to dive in, I think is a really great next step after representation is great, but I think we can do more. I really love that. So literally rewriting the story, we're just going to, um, by doing that, we're going to empower students to create a more gender equitable future for all of us. So, and no one's trading for fences. Yes. That's, and that's a practice. We just really have to make sure that's ridiculous. If if the kids come in with those stereotypes, we have to, we have to challenge that right now. Yes. And I would highly recommend some writing that has been really influential to me as I was planning some of this. And like you said, literally rewriting the story. A lot of that comes from Ebony Elizabeth Thomas's work, an amazing scholar, an amazing author. And I've drawn a lot from her, her books and her work on restoring, which is that act of taking the story and finding elements to change to make a more a story that is more just. So I very grateful for her work. That's great. I I love that idea. And yeah, I think re- literally rewriting the story is a way to go. So I only rewrite stories. <laughs> it's because I don't have original thoughts. That's why I just rewrite them. <laughs> Listen, Allie Whitford, thank you so much for joining us today. We absolutely appreciate you coming on to chat with us. Oh, thank you again for having me. This was wonderful. I appreciate it. Where can our listeners find you or your work online? Sure. So all of my Most of my writing is on um, Google Scholar is a great place to go. I also uh, am available for contact information and some of my work and things are available through my college website, which is hopecollegehope.edu. Never give up the the hope, kids. Um, So we will make sure to have those all linked in the show notes so people can easily find it. Thank you again so much for joining us today. And we certainly hope to continue the discussion online, or maybe you're just talking right back at the podcast right now. We accept it. We love it. We can't hear you though. (laughs) Now at the Vision of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education, or you just want to chat about books, hit us up. We're on the Twitter at Visions of Ed. And if you haven't already, and really you're listening to us, just do it. Subscribe to Visions of Ed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you'd like us to be. If you check your favorite podcasting place, most likely we're there. And if we're not there, hit us up. We'll fix it. And if you write us a five-star review, Michael and I will send you a fence post. And uh, that's the trade. That's a fair trade and an appropriate trade. We would like to thank Zach Seitz of Wiley High School and the University of North Texas for his editing skills. I'm still on Twitter, so I'm uh, at Dan Krutka there. And I'm best paired with a Rockford cheese. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off.